Another pot of coffee is brewing and my fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. This week, I am celebrating put up streamers and get a glass of champagne. Not only did this podcast launch just over four months ago on the 14th of September, but this is my 20th official episode. So what am I going to be talking about this week? Well, this week I am going to be talking about an incredibly popular rom-com that stars at least three massive names. It involves a ring, No, I've already established, seriously, it's a rom-com, not a horror film. It's based loosely around the publishing world and it came out in 2009. I'm also going to be talking about another Jill Mansell. Yes, I, I know I said that I was going to be reading a completely different book and I am reading two completely different books. However, I had planned to review something else in my 20th episode, but then my schedule kind of changed as you will have noticed last week. I had an employment review and though it went well it was incredibly emotionally draining and I found that I just couldn't get my mind in the right place to record last week. So my schedule completely changed then and now you're back came out and I read it in about five hours. So there's that. I am I promise going to be reviewing other genres In fact, I already have a few lined up and I really do hope you'll enjoy them as much as I have. There was, shocker, no dream this week. I have had a few and I've woken up with random thoughts like, why was I cutting my toenails? And why was I going to the butchers? But I don't actually remember any of them. They are really random memories from dreams that have completely seeped out of my consciousness when I've woken up. So it's right on and into my review. You're going to hear a lot of paper this week because I made so many notes and they're all handwritten, which is unusual for me. In the same year that Sandra Bullock performed her socks off and was awarded an Oscar for her role in The Blind Side, we were also gifted with another endearing appearance of rom-com protagonist Sandra. And yes, I am talking about The Proposal. This was also Ryan Reynolds' third try at the role of male romantic lead, fourth if you count his role as Seth in the pilot film for Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So... We've all probably seen it, and if we haven't by now, it's nearly 12 years old. It's on Amazon Prime, so if you want to have a watch, go ahead. Margaret Tate is pushy, bossy, and used to absolutely everything going her way. In fact, she's so awful to work with. I found this, I was thinking of an old boss that I used to have that was so dreadful, and I do wonder if we'd have used the same mechanisms to cope with working with her. She's so awful that other staff at the publishers where she's an editor-in-chief use the inter-office communication system, which I personally think looks a tiny bit like AOL Messenger, to warn people when she's headed in their direction. When Margaret is told by her boss, just after she's fired one of her colleagues for not doing what she wanted them to, 
she is told that she is facing deportation to her native Canada because she's ignored their recommendations and went to a book fair in Frankfurt. To be fair though, I used to work in publishing and I know that the Frankfurt Book Fair is a huge deal. It's one of the best places to pick up new authors. Anyway, standing rather uncomfortably at the back of the office while this entire meeting is going on is Margaret's downtrodden assistant, Andrew Paxton, who is obviously paid by Ryan Reynolds. He has editorial aspirations. He has absolutely no idea that he is about to be dragged into a mess that could change his career and will most definitely change his life. Margaret has the best and for that I don't actually mean best I mean worst idea on how to avoid losing her job and being sent back to Canada and I can't understand why it's the last place she wants to go apart from the fact that obviously being a big wig in New York publishing she's going to want to stay there because personally I think that Canada at least what I saw of it when I was there back in my 20s was lovely in fact White Rock was amazing and the dipped soft serve was stunningly good oh now I really want ice cream back to the film so hang on where was I oh yes Margaret has just told her bosses that she's so involved with her assistant Andrew that they're getting married now she just has to convince Andrew to go along with her plans Now, I don't know about anybody else, but if someone suddenly said to me, oh, well, I'm getting married to this person, they don't know anything about it right now, but I'm going to tell everybody that I'm marrying them, I think that I'd be a bit more than just taken aback. Margaret now just has to convince Andrew to go along with her plans and pass their relationship off to immigration as genuine. I have to say, when I first watched this film well, rewatched this film a couple of weeks ago when I discovered that it was on Amazon Prime. I was really happy about that, by the way. I was staggered to realise that I couldn't place the person who played the immigration officer. He really looked familiar, but I just couldn't figure out where he was from. So I looked it up. It turns out it was one of the kings, in fact, the king of Mississippi from True Blood in season five. Isn't it just amazing how one role, and this really was just one role because I haven't seen a lot of the other stuff that IMDb says he's been in, sticks out in the head when it comes to certain actors. Even though both Margaret and Andrew are worried at the consequences should they be found out, uh, neither of them back down. And what ensues is an interview that makes it so obvious that A, Margaret thinks herself too important for the whole thing, and B, Andrew pretty much eats, sleeps and breathes Margaret's demands. Andrew finally has something to bargain with because he's been for several months trying to persuade Margaret to publish a book that he thinks is amazing and he really wants to become an editor. So he basically insists to her that once all of this is over. She makes him an editor, but also publishes the book that he is continually recommending to her. He also gets her to get down on bended knee and propose. It's the most impractical position. I mean, she's wearing this pretty tight, below-the-knee pencil skirt. It's a stunning suit, by the way, and a pair of Louboutin heels. And he gets her to get down on bended knee 
on concrete outside the immigration building to legitimately propose to him on bended knee. Andrew has booked some time off work to go to visit his family and mostly because it's his gammy's birthday. I think she's turning 80 and she's played by the absolutely amazing Betty White. Margaret tells Andrew that she'll go with him on his holiday as it will give them an opportunity to make their relationship look even more convincing, especially as he's going to have to go through with that whole thing and marry her. And the last thing he's going to want to do is just turn up one day on a doorstep and say, hey, this is my wife. We got married so she could get a green card. This is not the film Green Card with Andy McDowell and Gerard Depardieu. And I can't even remember when I the last time I saw that one. Thus begins a conversation about air miles, which is incredibly random when you think about it. And then he reveals that he comes from a small town in Alaska called Sitka. This revelation, I think you can see the horror on Margaret's face when he reveals that they're going to Alaska. Not somewhere glamorous like LA or Florida or anywhere else. They are going to the top of the country, middle of nowhere, Alaska. To be honest, he probably did mention it at some point. However, Margaret has already proved that she doesn't listen to anyone unless it's actually benefiting her or about her. For some unknown reason, Margaret and Andrew's trip up to Sitka, especially on the second much smaller plane, reminds me of Romancing the Stone, or at least a portion of Romancing the Stone, where Joan Wilder, played by Kathleen Turner, is on a very, very primitive bus. There are pigs involved. Of course, his family is more than just a little bit shocked to hear that Andrew is engaged to a woman who he had previously been ranting and raving about almost constantly for years. But his mum, played by Mary Steenburgen, wants to accept whoever is in her son's life because as long as he's happy, it doesn't matter. As they're driving through the town, Margaret is incredibly surprised and a little bit taken aback to see that pretty much every single storefront has the name Paxton on it. And the town is thriving. I mean, there's people everywhere. There are businesses lining every single part of the street. It's not like <laughs> going down my street right now, where a large number of the shops are empty storefronts with for sale or to let signs above them. Andrew has never mentioned that his family isn't exactly shy a penny or 20. So it's quite it's quite obvious that he is from a well he had a wealthy upbringing very very different to Margaret's own she didn't come from money while Andrew's mum and Gammy are incredibly welcoming his dad who is played by Craig T Nelson is less than impressed i'm not sure as as the story goes on you discover that there are very very a large number of things that are actually causing tension between father and son not least of which being the fact that as far as his dad is concerned his idea of being an editor in New York is a pipe dream and he needs to come home to run the family business but he is incredibly suspicious of the real reason for Margaret and Andrew showing up and telling everyone that they're getting married. The more time however that Margaret spends with the Paxton family the more you can see her trying to loosen up. 
while this is also developing an element of guilt that previously she hadn't felt about lying to everybody. She feels guilty because she's tricking Andrew into a sham marriage and she knows it, especially having seen him around his family and his friends and the place that he grew up. Along the way, there are some really funny scenes, such as when Margaret comes across Gammy in the woods doing some kind of communing with nature dance. It's here where Margaret seems to relax, participating in a very strange dance, which actually won Betty White and Sandra Bullock a Teen Choice Award in 2010. Of course, the path of true love ne'er did run smooth, oh Shakespeare, you brought some doozies out in your writing. This one, true or false, is no different. While Margaret is going to odd hen parties where Ramon the caterer is the stripper and being fitted into the family wedding dress, Andrew's dad is contacting immigration and making a deal to get his son out of any charges if Margaret agrees to return with him to the US and then go straight to Canada. In what is probably her only example of self-sacrifice in the entire film, Margaret agrees to go. Andrew has realised during this entire conversation, and he is protesting, that despite the fact Margaret is acerbic and demanding and everything in between, and we've seen plenty of examples of it, trying to sacrifice a dog in exchange for a telephone is probably one of them, somewhere along the way he's actually fallen in love with her and he truly wants to marry her. Thus starts a huge row with his dad. He's already had several. They've had disagreements because as far as his dad's concerned, his career is pointless. He belongs in Sitka. He needs to start taking the reins of the family businesses. And Andrew knows what he has to do. He has to chase Margaret. But before he can do anything, Gammy collapses. And at this point, the first time I saw it, I've never forgotten. All I could think was, oh my God, they're not going to kill her off, are they? Because that would just make it horrible. And I thought this was supposed to be a comedy. And she needs to get transported by helicopter to the nearest hospital. Of course, though it's not immediately clear, as I said, I'm my immediate heart in throat. Oh my God, please don't kill her off. She's a lovely character. The attack was a fake intended to get... First, to distract her son from having a go at Andrew, given the fact that he's the one that caused all the problems. Well, it, did he really cause all the problems? He didn't cause them so much as bring them to a head. And also, get them a ride to the airport. Unfortunately, when they get there, it's too late. The plane has already taken off. Luckily, though, <laughs> it's a small town... And the Paxton family are well known and Andrew is very good friends with the guy who is manning air traffic control at the Sitka airport. So he is able to communicate with Maggie, sorry, <laughs> shouldn't call her Maggie, with Margaret on the plane. We get a happily ever after. Well, we get a happily. Do we get a never after? We don't really know. What we do see in the end credits, of course, and I love this bit, is them questioning all these people. Well, the immigration office is questioning all these people, including Ramon, who is very, very cagey about his immigration status. And I found that really funny. 
So what did I think of this film overall? And you're going to hear paper again. I'm so sorry. I enjoyed it. Of course I did. Otherwise I wouldn't be talking about it. I really enjoyed it. By rights, it's a touchstone film, which means it is Disney. So it's kind of lighthearted and has energy to it. It's not massively inappropriate. There aren't many adult themes, though there is a stripper scene. You don't see anything and he's stripping to relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And then, oh, (laughs) it's just funny. I do find it enjoyable. To the surprise of reviewers who were disappointed by this first joint outing by Reynolds and Bullock, the $40 million budget, yes, $40 million, managed to become a whopping $317 million in the box office. That number only continued to grow when it was released on DVD in 2009, and it grew by 90 million in DVD sales. That's incredible. Okay, so most people will watch stuff digitally these days, but back in 2009 to sort of like 2013, more people were buying DVDs. I know I've got a massive collection myself and 90 million is incredible when you take into account they're probably, I'm trying to think, in the UK, 8, 9, 99 per copy then in the bargain bin after that but even so 90 million is a huge amount of money to make on dvds so we've established it was a bit of a flop with critics well not all of them some liked it it was popular though with audiences you can tell from 317 million dollars which is why it won sandra bullock a teen choice award back in 2010 And it also won Choice Summer Movie Romance in 2009. And I've already mentioned that it won Betty White and Sandra Bullock a Choice Movie Dance Award in 2010. It was also the winner of Favourite Movie Comedy at the 36th People's Choice Awards. And it earned Sandra Bullock a nomination for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical at the 67th Golden Globes where she won Best Actress in a Drama for The Blind Side, also going on to win the Oscar. Though I've now probably watched the film at least ten times, only one song in the soundtrack stands out to me, and that's Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood in the stripper scene and also when she's in the shower afterwards, which spawns another interesting scene. But that's my only memory. And that's that's the weird thing about this. The film really sticks out in my head. It's a really funny, light-hearted, easy-to-watch, easy-to-relax-to film. In fact, I've watched it a couple of times where I've been reading a book or doing something else, probably crochet in most cases, and I haven't missed anything. But I don't notice the songs that are played because there's nothing that really stands out as being incredibly obvious I looked at the soundtrack before I started doing all my research to see if there was anything on there that was significant. There's a couple of Michael Michael Bublé songs on there, but there's nothing that really stands out as being, oh yes, I will immediately associate this song with this film. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because this film was not about the songs or the soundtrack. They were almost like an undertone that didn't have a part to play in the film at all which 
is sometimes the case, especially with films in my mind that were made after like 2005. Unless you count Iron Man. Yeah, I think I'll count Iron Man. That was 2008. But most films after 2005 don't seem to have a significant soundtrack. So would I recommend this film? Duh. Yes. I would definitely recommend. If you want something light-hearted and easy to watch, then definitely. Honestly, just <laughs> flick through Amazon Prime or possibly, <laughs> fingers keeping crossed here, possibly Disney Plus Star at some point in the next few months and you'll be able to find it with no problem. So, <laughs> I've been mentioning streaming services already and now I'm going to look at actually what's going to be on UK streaming services over the next week. So that means between the 29th of January and the 4th of February and oh my, how are we almost in February already? Oh my, no. Anyway, <laughs> let's ignore the fact that we're talking about February already. Netflix this coming week has got a few new additions to it, but none of them are really, really standing out to me as, oh my gosh, I've got to watch that. However, that's just my view. Yours may well be completely different. On the 1st of February, as is with every single first of the month, Netflix is releasing quite a few things, including Mean Girls, Mum's Night Out, and Next, which is a sci-fi thriller with Nicolas Cage. They're also going to be uploading all seven seasons of Parks and Recreation, which until this point has been on Amazon Prime, though that may well be changing, I don't know. Amazon's being its usual cagey self. On they're also going to be adding Snakes on a Plane with Samuel L. Jackson. Cue the jokes here. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it. I can't stand snakes anywhere. The idea of snakes on a plane just, oh no, it's too much for my brain to handle. On the 3rd of February, Firefly Lane starring Sarah Chalk and Catherine Heigl. The whole first season is going to be added to the platform. I think that this is something about a friendship over a number of years with Sarah Chalk and Catherine Heigl as the two friends in the, at the centre of the story. And then on the 5th of February, we get Malcolm and Marie, which was filmed during the COVID quarantine period and stars Zendaya. Oh, and it's also all in black and white. Disney Plus. <clears throat> okay. Disney Plus is very, very quiet at least for the first part of the month. In the run-up to the 23rd, when Disney Plus Star launches, things are much quieter. However, if you've been enjoying WandaVision, shh, no spoilers, I still haven't seen the first three episodes. Yeah, I know. I, I, mean, I keep on meaning to watch them and then I start reading a book. Not necessarily a bad thing. It's continuing to air a new episode every single Friday. I believe they are released in the UK at eight o'clock on Friday mornings, which is why I I had intent to watch them in the mor on Friday mornings, but then they don't air early enough for me to watch them before I start work. Amazon. Okay, so here's, I would say here's the big one, but it's not really this month. On the 29th, we have The Great Escapists. Now, 
that may sound like it's some sequel to the film The Great Escape. It's not. This is Richard Hammond, yeah, from the Grand Tour and one of the original guys from Top Gear's first solo venture. And I say solo venture in quotation marks because it is actually a joint project with an ex-Mythbuster called Tori Belecci. It's Desert Island Discs meets <laughs> Tomorrow's World. And if you understand the reference to Tomorrow's World, welcome to <laughs> your 40s. It is engineering and science on a real desert island. And that will all be uploaded to the platform on the 29th of January. Also on the 29th of January, we get Bridesmaids. And we also get the second of the first lot of Charlie's Angels films. I think they were the first lot. The ones with Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu. Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. And at the moment, that is all I can find. As I said, it's been incredibly difficult finding information about any of these platforms for the last couple of weeks. And I wish it were easier. So Amazon, if you're listening, please start releasing what you're going to be airing. I keep on noticing that every single day I'll log on and there'll be something brand new that I didn't even know was going to be arriving. But I don't check every single day. So quite often I'll go through and it's like they've added 15 films. Not complaining, 15 films is fantastic, but it would be nice to know they're coming. Okay, so <laughs> there's end rant about streaming services and their lack of communication. Also, just as a little bit of a heads up, if you are looking to get Disney+, Plus, the price has gone from $5.99 a month to $7.99 a month or $79.99 if you're getting it all in one go. And also, and of course, Netflix's prices are going up from $8.99 to $9.99 a month for its standard package and from $11.99 to $13.99 for its premium package. And they're saying that this is to do with the fact that they are intending, and they have announced this formally, they are intending to release at least one brand new film every single month in 2021. So expect a brand new version of something at some point in the next few weeks. Obviously, February's premiere is going to be Malcolm and Marie. Before I get into my weekly book review and the wonders of my mental health for the last week, why not travel away to another podcast, at least for their promo right now? This is Weird Distractions. Do you often find that you need a distraction from everyday life? Do you like true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, and other weird, dark tales? Well, tune in and turn up Weird Distractions Podcast, where we, your hosts, Christy and Alex, bring you a weird distraction to help you get through the work week. Every Sunday morning, you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Good Pods, and more. So, grab a snack, get comfy, and make sure to lock those doors. Need a distraction? We got you. I mentioned earlier that I had fully intended to do a review of a totally different type of book. In fact, I am still reading it. It is Donut by Tom Holt. I love his books. He's very Douglas Adams in style. However, because I postponed the release of this episode by a week due to 
energy being completely down the toilet as of last Monday, I was treated to a wonder in my Kindle inbox this week, and that was the brand new 2021 book by Jill Mansell. Yes, I am fully aware that I reviewed a book by her last week, and I think I reviewed a book by her a couple of weeks before that. But this is a book that literally came out last Thursday, the 21st of January, and it is called And Now You're Back. No, it has nothing to do with the song by Gloria Gaynor, but that is what I immediately thought of when I saw the book had been added to Amazon sometime last year, and I ordered it, pre-ordered it as soon as I saw it because the title made me think of Gloria Gaynor, and for about a week afterwards I was singing I Will Survive. Yes, I am that type of person. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Anyway... I'm really happy that I read this book as quickly as I... Well, I'm not... I don't know why I'm saying I'm really happy I read this book as quickly as I did because it was a good book and I'd have liked to savour it and I kind of did. I read it over five hours, but I read it over two days because I started reading it before I went to bed on the Thursday evening and I wouldn't have stopped had it not been for the fact that I remembered I had to get up for work the next day. I think it was about quarter past 12. I was 54% of the way into the book. Something incredible had happened. And then I remembered that I needed to get up in six hours. So I had to stop reading. Anyway, what's the story about? So, what's the story about now you know the title? The blurb on the back of the book basically says this. One magical winter's night in Venice, Dee Dee fell in love but it ended and he left without even saying goodbye. Now, 13 years on, Shay Mason is back. The old spark is still there, but Dee Dee's determined to ignore it. As manager of a stunning Cotswolds hotel, she's happy at last and soon to be married. Anyway, Shay isn't staying. He's made a promise to his father he's going to keep it and then he'll be gone. But Shay's return stirs up long-forgotten emotions and scandal that led him to leave raises its head once again. It's time for buried secrets to come to light and it seems that this was someone's intention all along. So it's pretty open-ended. There is no reveal of, well there is a really reveal in the book, but there's no reveal in the summary of anything more than the two main characters' names and that is Dee Dee and Shay. However, As with every single book that comes from Jill Mansell's pen, and I have seen her Twitter, and she does apparently write all her books out freehand first. So I feel I'm not alone. That's how I write everything. All of my notes for my podcasts, all of the articles that I write for work, everything is written with pen or pencil and paper, and then transcribed onto a screen. I just can't do it any other way. It's it's old habits die hard, I suppose. And I grew up in a time when we didn't have computers at school. I'm showing my age again here. Anyway, there are more than just the two main characters in this book. We've got Dee Dee. She's now in her early 30s. She fell in love with Shay, as we've already established when they were on holiday in Venice. However, what the book keeps on doing as you read on is building more and more on the past that Dee Dee and Shay share. 
So while it starts off with the first winter's night, the magical snowstorm that brings them together in Venice, as you read on, you discover that what started in Venice continued on when they returned home. Shay was from the wrong side of the tracks. His dad was constantly in and out of prison because he was a thief. That sounds really harsh. I mean, he was a charmer as well. He was a bit of a wide boy, which is unusual when you think they come from a small town in in the Cotswolds. But Red was a bit of a wide boy and he was constantly in and out of prison, having broken the law on multiple occasions. And everybody was absolutely positive that Shay was going to follow in his footsteps. So the fact that Dee Dee, whose parents owned the local hotel and had a lot of money, saw their daughter with Shay was not the best thing as far as they were concerned. We also get introduced to Dee Dee's best friend, Layla, who is described as a bit of an oddball. And she really spoke to me. Well, not Layla. Not literally, but her character spoke to me. She's a little bit different. She likes to wear bright clothing that really exudes who she is, even though she is, in her own words, an accountant. And people immediately assume that an accountant has to be someone who has their hair very, very sensible, wears sensible clothing. In fact, if you think of an accountant, you're probably going to think slightly similar I suppose to Margaret Tate from The Proposal, very official in appearance, very staid, very sensible and that is not who Layla is. Layla also doesn't drive, I can sympathise with this. You find out later that it's not that she doesn't, she can't drive, it's that she won't. You also get introduced to Will, Layla's very very regular taxi driver who is constantly sitting, staring at his iPad and tapping away at it whenever he's waiting for Layla. And then there is Layla's mother. She's such a lovely character. Rosa is kind, giving, generous, so sweet and clearly desperately misses her husband who died three years previously. When Red comes back to town because he's dying, and I'm not giving away anything by saying this, he's coming. He comes back to town because he's dying. She gives him a, a room in his in her home, even though when her husband died, she pretty much lost everything. She hasn't lost her generous spirit at all. And then you're also introduced to the people who now live in Rosa's old home. That's Benny, who is lovely, and I kind of I fell a little bit in love with Benny when I was reading about him and his partner Ingrid who I really did not like and I don't think you're meant to but you're introduced to all of these characters as well as Dee Dee's fiance Aaron who is very sensible very reliable very dependable very straight-laced very much the kind of person that Dee Dee's father would approve of. You meet all of these people very early on in the book, but then as more and more of the background story is revealed, you get to know more about why Dee Dee and Shay were together. You learn about their relationship. You learn about how everything started to go wrong, and it goes wrong very quickly. And then you also see how Layla has become an incredibly strong character. 
you get to you don't really get to know much about Will until the end of the book, but you get to see how Layla's relationship with Will as a friend is growing at the same time as you see Benny and Rosa's relationship developing. And bearing in mind Benny is with somebody and Rosa is still mourning her husband, it is a friendship, but there is something underlying everything. And that's the one thing I loved about this book, and I've loved about almost every other Jill Mansell, is that it isn't just about what's on the surface. There's something in the past, there is something growing underneath it, and that sounds, oh God, that sounds like mould. No, it's... <laughs> No, there is something developing underneath. Beneath the surface, it's not all, oh, it's going to be really smooth sailing and everything's going to work out exactly how you expect it to from the word go. Because it's not... That sounds bad. I'm not going to say it's not a Mills and Boone because some Mills and Boone are very well written and there have been quite a number of Mills and Boone authors who've made a success outside of Mills and Boone as published authors independently. But it has got more than just one twist and all of the characters are equally important to the story as well as having their own stories taking place. So you've got Red has returned and he is determined to right some wrongs. You've got Rosa who is still mourning her husband but needs to find her place in the world and she acknowledges that she's very, very clumsy and you can see a lot of her characteristics in her daughter Layla and you've got Layla who is desperately, desperately doesn't want to be alone anymore. So she tries some new things. And when they backfire, she doesn't just take a step back and go, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this again. She is determined to push forward and she makes things right. And oh boy, does she make things right. I really admired her for her, her gumption. Yes, I am using a word from the holiday. I admired her for her gumption when she did what she did. You need to read the book to know what I'm talking about. But all of these characters have a story. They are all characters who without, they're not one dimensional. You get to know more about them as the story develops. And if I'm being honest, I actually preferred Layla's story to Dee Dee's. And I'm not sure if that's because I identified with Layla a lot more than I did Dee Dee. I'd like to see more of Layla. That sounds very weird, but I would like to see more of her story, maybe a novella or something. Hello, if you're listening out there, please. A novella would be lovely for Layla because I loved her story and I think that she was a very good character who could lead her own tale. I know that she gets her ending, but it would be nice to see more of what happened on the way there. So <laughs> it's a very, very short review, I will acknowledge. But I give two hearty thumbs up, and if I had more thumbs, I would give more to the new book from Jill Mansell, and I would definitely recommend you read it. It's out now on Kindle, and I believe in, on, in hardback. You can find it on Amazon. It's available in the UK and elsewhere, and it's called And Now You're Back, and I loved it, so please go and read it. Okay, we get to the wonder that is mental health. As I said, last week was a little bit of a, a dip. 
it wasn't one that led me to the kind of low that is horrific all the time but it was one that meant I couldn't concentrate enough to produce something that I felt was going to be worth anybody listening to because I felt drained. Overall, my review, as I said, I had my employment review on Monday and this time of year, things are very hard anyway. It's difficult for most people to sum up the energy to get up, get dressed and go to work, even if they're literally, as I am at the moment, going from one room to another room in my own house, which I am doing. And I once I sit down and I get going, I'm fine. But it's the whole getting up and getting going that I'm struggling with. And after my review last Monday, even though it went fine, I struggled with the whole getting up and going anywhere. It definitely wasn't helped by the fact that it was cold, that I woke up in the morning, looked out the window and there was two inches of frost on every single car on my road. And it was also still quite dark. None of that helped. And I don't think it helps anybody when it's really, really cold and it's really dark and it's really wintry and it's really lonely. And all of these things are probably contributory factors to I didn't want to get up and go anywhere. Luckily, I have got some holiday to look forward to. And during that time, I'm hoping to get a little bit further ahead with the podcast, at least with watching films and reading books, because as I said, I am not just going to be reading Jill Mansell. Well, I am probably still going to be reading quite a lot of Jill Mansell and Page Tune, but I am going to be reviewing other books. In fact, if anybody's got any suggestions for mainstream or not so mainstream literature that they think I would enjoy, given the books that I've reviewed and possibly also given books that I've mentioned on Instagram and Twitter, then pass them over. I have to say I'm not very, very good with thrillers and things because my imagination gets away with me just a bit much and living on my own, I do tend to have a few nightmares and fears regarding people invading people's houses. <laughs> yeah, my imagination's like that. Anyway, back to the mental health stuff after that brief interlude regarding reading. I've been tired. I have put a lot of pressure on myself to do things and do them better than possibly I have the experience to do them. And also work has changed in that we are, I'm now expected to write five detailed articles a week. It wouldn't be so bad if they were all on different subjects, but right now we are focusing on electric vehicles, don't even ask. And I think my brain has started to go, protest, stop, please. And that is making it hard, even harder for me to get up in the morning and think, right, okay, brain clear, just get on with it. Also, I have been having a few issues with my medication. I've got to go to the doctors mid-February, I think. And getting an appointment with my GP isn't easy. I don't think anybody's finding it easy. If anyone has an easy shortcut to getting an appointment with their GP, and obviously it can't be, I think I have COVID because they won't see you then, let me know. But I have got an appointment and I will be asking him about some issues that I'm experiencing 
as well as trying to get an appointment with my therapist because I have noticed that I'm finding it a lot harder to get the enthusiasm I used to have for certain things. I'm not saying, oh, I'm never going to do my podcast again because this is actually something I really enjoy doing. It's just sometimes my drive isn't as far forward as I'd like it to be. I need to kind of put my foot on the pedal and take my other my hand off the brake because I think that's the only way sometimes I'm going to get anything done. Now you've listened to my rambling, I really appreciate it and I do hope that everything is okay with all of you. I'd like to just take this opportunity to thank you for listening. As you know, I release a brand new episode every week. So if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Go on, make them depressed too. And post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Instagram at Ray's Reading Room. That's R-A-Y-E. I update on both as often as I can. Well... I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough and I'm starting to lag. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell.